Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. All right, let's, uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and then I'm going to ask you to lay your Bible to the side and go ahead and stand with me. So we're working on the creed, the Apostles' Creed, the Apostles' Creed. You can go ahead and stand whenever you feel like it. The Apostles' Creed is an almost 2,000-year-old creed that comes out of the Apostles' teaching. It has united the church of Jesus Christ together under a common encapsulation of fundamental beliefs. And so beliefs are more than knowledge. We're moving knowledge down into our hearts. And so every time we say this, we're reminding ourselves of the fundamentals. And I know, I appreciate your patience in going through this. We're not going to do this much longer. Uh, But I really, when all of this series is over, I want us to know what matters and that we can know why it matters and that it moves from our beliefs to our behaviors, okay? So uh, let's go ahead and begin that. You just recite with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. So today we're obviously in line of all the things that we're learning is the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of the saints. We're going to put those into the same teaching. Of course, I've been saying this week to week, we don't, we're not pledging any kind of allegiance to the Roman Catholic Church. We are pledging allegiance to the Holy Catholic Church. The word Catholic is a Much older word than Roman Catholic Church. Catholic just meaning the universal global people of God. This is the church, capital C, that all of us belong to. The local church, that's this body of believers. But the holy Catholic Church is all believers across every generation uh, that unites together under the same mission that Jesus Christ established the church to exist for. And so we're going to see that in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 27, but leading up to that, I want to set the context. Paul says, I show you a mystery, and he's talking in reference to marriage. And he says, husbands, you ought to love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. And he says that husbands should love their wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And wives, you are to respect your husbands in the way that the church is to respect Christ. And so in that is the mystery of marriage, that marriage does not exist to complement you or to satisfy you because nothing can do that except Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the only thing. So your marriage isn't supposed to be perfect. Your marriage points to a perfect Jesus. And so God gives us the mechanism of marriage to show us more about sacrificial love and sacrificial respect and how those things work together. 
And so in reference to that, it says that the husband is to lead his family spiritually by washing of the water of the Word of God. That is, that the husband is to take the Word of God and to continually take the truths of the Word of God and purify his family with the foundational truths of Jesus Christ. Amen? For this reason, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27... That he might present her to himself. Jesus Christ is giving himself a gift at his wedding. And that is his own glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she, the church, should be holy and without blemish. So Jesus is preparing his church so that on our wedding day with Him, which consummates all eternity, we, the church, will be holy without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Jesus is purifying His church for His own glory. Okay? It's very important because we talk about, well, what's the goals of the church? What's the core values of the church? What's the church's mandate? What is the church supposed to do? Ultimately, what the church is to do is to be ready for Jesus' glorious appearing so that we might be glorious unto Him. We are to match that glory. So Jesus is glorified. But the church is being glorified to match that glory. And that can only occur as Jesus is being formed in us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So as we allow the Spirit to do the work, we are being washed by the water of the Word of God, the pure Word of God as a husband opens the Scripture and leads his family spiritually. Jesus, the living Word, ministers to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, preparing us for that day of consummation for all eternity. All right, so we say all of that to say we talk about our goals and our dreams and our values and our mandates and all our models and our ministry and all that. But ultimately, the goal is that we be glorified when Jesus Christ comes. Glorious, without spot or wrinkle. So, that church of Jesus Christ all over the globe and in every era of time has this as its common goal is to be ready for Jesus' appearing, to be formed upon the Word of God itself. It's that common purpose that unites us, the worship, evangelism, bearing spiritual fruit, exercising our spiritual gifts and our fundamental beliefs which we are learning week to week. And of course we want to be a part of that glorious church. There's nobody that would call themselves a Christian that would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I really don't, I really don't, Jesus don't really mean much to me. Yeah, of course that we, we wouldn't say that. But look at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 21. I'm going to turn around a lot today. Uh, you can either just believe that I'm reading correctly. You can follow along, take notes, go back and read it later. But uh, Ephesians chapter 3 verse 21 says, Unto Him, that's Jesus, be glory in the church. Unto Him be glory in the church. How is Jesus most glorified? Through the church. It's the mechanism that He created by which He is glorified by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Many of us are content to go to church when it's convenient. When it's easy, we go to church and how can I benefit? 
How can I, you know, how can I feel better about me? How can I learn more about being a better person? How can I, you know, maybe get rid of the guilt and get rid of the shame and maybe meet some new people? But we've got to realize that we don't get to go to church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are the building of God. Scripture is, is very clear that when you call yourself a Christian, you actually become a brick. A brick that is formed alongside other... Listen, there's so many jokes there, I'm going to bypass all of them, all right? But you are forming yourself, and the Word of God becomes the cement that glues you together with one another, and we form the building of God. One of, God's, one of Jesus' favorite names of His church is the building or the body of Christ. Paul uses the word building often. We are living stones formed together, building. But we, this place, is a building where the church of Jesus Christ assembles together as we have opportunity. And this church, the communion of the saints, some of you, read, some of you have been doing that every week, reading communion of the saints, we think of the Lord's Supper. That's not what the communion of the saints is. That's communion, but it is a reminder of what we have in Jesus Christ. But the communion of the saints is the fellowship and the common bond that we have with one another. I'm afraid that we're losing sight of what we need because our definition of community is changing. The dysfunction of the family is has really got into the way of understanding what a real community really is. Often now we talk about community and, and, uh, and we talk about ideas or we talk about you know, like-mindedness and such a thing. But community as it existed, you know, God created us for community. He created us for connections. He created us for commonalities. So often today we want to be a part of things, but we don't necessarily want to contribute to things. We want the identity that we belong, but we don't want to contribute to belong. So we get to church late and we leave early and we're a part of the church community. Listen, our definition of community has changed. And honestly, there are people that are maybe even in this room that remember the benefits of the fellowship of believers. That remember sitting and having a meal together. Sitting and, and maybe hanging out after church. I'm not asking you to do that today because be, I'm not trying to heap guilt on you. But understanding the need of being, we're better together. We're better together. But now we look for that community as to how can I benefit? What's in it for me? What do you have that I need? And we're only looking at the one side for community. And we have to be very, very careful about that or we'll miss the whole intention that Jesus Christ had for the church. We, we like to come to a building and have church done upon us. But it does not work that way. That does not cause us to be the glorious church. The only way that we can be the glorious church is when we cooperate our gifts and our fruit together for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what the glorious church looks like. And it's not our goal. That is the goal of Jesus Christ. Each one cooperating with what he or she has been giving and invested to in by, the, by Jesus Christ himself, by the Holy Spirit, cooperating together and moving together, giving preference to one another, esteeming one another, giving honor to one another. And all of these things are, are, are loving each other. Sometimes loving people means loving people that are difficult to love. 
So what we do today is I don't have to love people that are difficult. I can just back away. So we're looking for a glorious church, but a glorious church means glorious preaching, glorious music, glorying, uh, 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 glorious uh, facilities, glorious whatever. But I'm afraid we've missed the importance of allowing Jesus Christ to be the centerpiece of our relationships with one another. How much better we are when Jesus Christ is the head of the church. So Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, I guess what I'll say, the importance of belonging. It's, it's something that we're missing. Belonging means shared. We don't really like, we don't do sharing very well. The importance of belonging. When Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, of, you know, they came and said, you know, Jesus, which is the greatest commandment? I mean, there's 900 of them in the Old Testament. Which one's the best one? The most important one. Jesus just simply says, To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So how do we express that love toward God? Well, Jesus says we worship Him. And so at church, we should, when we are together, when we are cooperating with one another, our greatest point of interest ought to be in our worship. Giving God His worth. Now listen, this is very important for us to understand what worship is and what worship is not. Worship is not an hour set aside in a week. Worship is any time that we are obedient to Jesus Christ. That is worship. Because when we're obedient, we are actually giving Him His worth. When we're choosing Jesus over our own calendars or over our own thoughts, over our own heart... When we're choosing Jesus, we're choosing obedience. When we're choosing obedience, we're giving Him worth. When we give Him worth, we are worshiping Him. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 31. He said, But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So we see this, that Jesus did not confine worship to a building or to an hour. But worshiping is an outpouring of our lives 24-7. You can live a constant life of, of worship or a life of constant worship. Your worship, now this is very important, okay? Your worship is only as pure as your obedience, not the tone of your singing. Your worship is in equal proportion to your obedience. There's a lot of people who think they worship. They feel something when we sing songs and we call that worship. Listen, if it's not out of obedience, it ain't worship. It's simple. If it ain't out of obedience, it ain't worship. It's a feeling. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's being tempted by Satan. Satan comes into him three different ways, three different types of temptation. And in one of those temptations, Jesus says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you... Anybody know? Serve. Listen, what Jesus says is that worship is equal to service. You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Worship the Lord your God and serve Him. Before we can be worthy workers, we must become willing worshipers. Our service to the Lord flows out of our time with Him. Jesus made it very clear. In fact, 
I'm going to just kind of paraphrase this, but it's in Luke chapter 10 if you want to go there uh, and or write that down and go back and study it. Jesus is visiting Mary and Martha and Lazarus, and he goes in, and, and Martha, boy, she's in the kitchen banging pots and pans, and everybody else is out in the living room, and Martha comes in. I can see it. I mean, I grew up with it. I, I can just see how this ended. She comes to Jesus, and she says, Do you not care that I'm in the kitchen all by myself working? And then the greatest thing happens. She says to Jesus, I mean, Mary is, or Martha is what we would call a tattletale. All right? She says, tell her, her sister Mary, to get in here and help me. And Jesus said, oh, what are the greatest comebacks of all time? He said, and I, and I don't know how he said it. I just know the words that he used. So I'm going to use a little dramatic impact here, okay? I think it was like a tisk tisk moment. Martha, Martha. I just, I don't know for sure. I've seen some movies. <laughs> Martha, Martha. He says she has chosen a, a better thing. Chosen a better thing. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Mary is in there sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to the living word of God, giving, you know, building his glorious church. And Martha is worried about a souffle. So what Jesus is saying to her is, worship comes before work. Worship comes before work. In fact, Jesus has already said that loving him equals obedience. Obedience is two things. It's worship and it's work. It's worship and it's work. Here we learn that loving Jesus is two things. It's, well, it's, it's one thing, obedience. But obedience is worship first, then work in that order. So many Christians want to express their appreciation to God and they want to serve. And so we get so busy serving, so busy doing, we forget why we do it. We lose the motivation for why we do it. We just enjoy it. There's a lot of people who want to come to church and serve, but never engage in the belonging of the body together. Honestly, some people, Christians, come to church and they want to avoid the body by serving. This is not building the glorious church. This is not the church at all. This is social work. Jesus is not building that. That flows out of our love for one another. So, you love the Lord your God with all of your soul, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. So, before God is served, He must first be worshipped. And then He goes on and He says, And the second commandment is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Well, it means find people who agree with you, who are like you, who are like-minded, and love those people just like you love yourself. Right? No, listen. The thing about it, they say, who is my neighbor? Jesus says, it's your mortal enemy. That's your, so who am I supposed to love? Once you love him, once you love him, then you're able to love your neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor? Well, it's the people that aren't capable of being loved by you. Now listen, the world does not have the capacity for this. 
The world cannot love unlove, unlovable people. It's, it's obvious when the world tries to love the church, it's not possible. It doesn't exist. But the church should be able to love the world, should it not? Because we have a love not of this world manifesting itself in us. But that's only true when it's the love of Jesus Christ, not a manufactured response. True love is able to love those that are not capable of being loved. Now listen, that's really hard for us to give preference to people. It's really hard for us to walk in humility around people. I I really do understand. I'm serious. It's really hard for us to do that. So here in God's wonderful goodness, He is going to bring you so many people that are hard to love for you to practice on. Isn't He so good to us? To gift us with so many people so that we could keep getting better and better. You would think that it would be like, you know what? I'm pretty good at loving people. Not like me, Lord. (laughs) Uh, Just knock that off. I'm as good as I want to be. But God just keeps bringing them. He just keeps bringing them because he wants us to be the very best. Because he's not looking for a good church. He's looking for a glorious church. Because only the glorious church can be built by him. So in... John chapter 15, verse 12, it says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Oh, no. Because, see, I want to love people. I want to love people. Uh, No, no, no. I want people to think I love them. (laughs) Right? But Jesus put some caveats here. He says, you know that love where I love you? That's, That's... It's that love that you should be giving away. And you can't manufacture that kind of love. That's why we get so frustrated with people all the time. It's because we're trying to give away a love that we don't have. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. You hear that? Oh, man, what? I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Listen, the kind of love that you can love with, it will not last. It's only as good as you are patient. But the patience of the Holy Spirit never runs out. That's why our love can't produce fruit that lasts. But God's fruit from His love lasts. It doesn't grow tired from well-doing. Verse 17, this is a tough one. This is my command. Love each other. How many times does He have to say it? Well, He's been saying it for 2,000 years and we still ain't getting it. Right? Love each other. Now, this love is a very interesting love. It's the same kind of love that we find in John 3 when when the Bible says, when Jesus said, for God loved the world so much. So it's the same kind of love that God loves us with. And by the way, when we were not worthy, He loved us with that love. You know, you, you weren't much when God loved you first. And He is making you to be glorious through that love. He is purifying you, washing you by the water of the Word of God Himself so that you can be the glorious church. He's doing that in you. He's making you somewhat lovable only as you are manifesting Jesus Christ in your life. Otherwise, don't take this offensively, but you ain't much compared to God, right? We ain't much. 
So as he can see the reflection of Christ in us, he's, able, he's loving us. He's loving us. He's loving us. He's loving us. So I say all of that just to get down to this point, is that as we are learning to love and, and recognize the kind of love that he loves us with, that's the kind of love that we are to give away. Love each other. It's the same word with a little mm, human twist to it. It is the Greek word agapeo. Agapeo. Now, God's love for us is agape, but this is agapeo. It's a very unique word. I'm going to, tell you, I'm going to teach you a little bit about Greek this morning. I know that you don't care. It's incredibly important. Okay? It's the very language that God chose to give us His word, so it matters, right? Here's a couple of things. Greek words come in a tense. This word is present tense, which means that it is true every second of the day. Not when this happens or if this, then that. This is a, at every second of every day, love one another. Not when things are going your way or they do what you want or how you feel or based upon your mood or based upon their mood. It's every second of every day, love each other. It's present tense. It's a constant reality. Number two, Greek has a voice. It's active or it's passive. This particular word is written in active voice, which means... That oftentimes, loving somebody is going to include your energy. It's going to have to include your energy because some people are difficult to love. Period. By the way, I would say this. Anybody, raise your hand if you know people that are difficult to love. Okay. Uh, Some of you need to work on lying. Uh, Here's the second thing that is very, very true. You, you are someone's difficult person to love. All right? It's just the way it works. So I'll just leave that there. So uh, sometimes love can be passive and implied, but this word is active. The third thing, the third part of this word that I want you to understand is Greek also has a mood. All right? Greek is a very moody language. Not only does it tell you what it wants you to know, it wants you to know how to feel about it. Right? Mood. This word is in subjective mood. Subjunctive mood. Subjunctive mood means this, that it doesn't have to. It chooses to. Right? So when you think about the, this particular word where we are to love one another, is Jesus says, I command it. God commands it. But He ain't going to force you. He ain't going to be the one who does it. You have to choose to be obedient to this command. You have to choose it. And so God gives us the kingdom of the church while we're waiting on the kingdom of heaven to be here. He gives us the kingdom of the church to practice in. Boy, let me tell you something. If you can't love one another here, how in this world are you going to love one another out there? And that's the ultimate goal, is to express His love to the nations, to the neighbors, to the people who do not deserve it. That's our ultimate goal, to, be, to bring as many people as we can and help them be a part of the glorious church. And so He gives us one another to help perfect that. He gives us the gifts of the Spirit to make it possible. He gives us the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He gives us, in fact, was it 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that we have been given everything so that we are thoroughly equipped unto every good work. And what a gift to give us the communion of the saints. 
so that we can get better and better and we can learn everything we need to learn in a very safe environment. Just like, just like we train our kids, we raise our kids. Home should be a safe place. It should be a place where we process life together, where we learn some, I don't know, strategies, coping skills, where we learn and we have those conversations around the dinner table about what, what's, what's the greatest part of your day, how you're working through life, where's your tensions, where we, and, we, and we help our kids practice in the safety of our home. That's what this is. When we come together for church, we're going to rub each other the wrong way. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to offend each other. And overcoming it is how we are getting better at reaching the world that is raising up the glorious church without spot or wrinkle. This isn't the goal, what we're doing here. Doing church, coming and having church done upon us. And the goal is loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, strength. It's, it's putting Jesus first in every area and teaching our neighbors to do the same. How do we, do, how do we teach our neighbors? By loving them. How do we love? By being obedient to Christ. How are we obedient to Christ? Worship first, work second. Our work flows out of our worship, our time with Him. Let me explain that maybe just a little bit more clearly. When Jesus, I think it's one of the reasons why Jesus tells His disciples, and this is genius. He says, look into the fields, they are wide into harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into the fields, right? And the disciples, Lord, please send laborers. Labors into the field. Lord, please. And every one of them ends up answering a call to missionary work. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says you should pray for these things. They become the answer to their own prayers. Because time with Jesus in prayer, time with God in prayer, equals service. It's one of the reasons why he would command us to also pray. Why? Because as I pray, I will recognize that the things that I pray for, I become passionate for. Every time Jesus spends time with the Father in prayer, He looks out over the people and He's filled with compassion. He sees them helpless and, he's ho- and, and hopeless. Out of our time of worship comes times of service. So as we come together, worshiping the Lord together, being obedient to the Lord together... It will increase our capacity to reach our neighbors with the good news of Jesus Christ so that one day we will be the glorious church that Jesus is returning for. And all the while, He's doing the work. It's the love that the Father has for His creation. That love, that sacrificial, unconditional love flows into His Son. And so Jesus comes to earth. And he lives. We've already worked through his entire life throughout the creed. Jesus, he comes and he gives his life. He ministers. He actually lays down his life for his friends. And he's nailed to the cross. He dies. He descends to the dead where he's victorious over death, hell, and the grave. He rises victoriously. His resurrection ascends to the right hand of the Father. And the love, the communion of the Father and the Son together gives the opportunity for the Spirit to be able to fall to the earth so that we can now not just have the Holy Spirit, but be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of love, part of the Trinity. I mean, God Himself, God's love itself is living inside of us. So that now we can love with the same love that the Father loved the Son, the Son loved the Father with. That's actually manifested in me. I have that. But I have to choose it. 
And how, does, how is it best demonstrated that I love the Father? It's my love for you. My ability to love you. That's the communion of the saints. And as we're learning to love and belong and to be one and to support one another's ministry, we're able to see Jesus manifested in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our work um, uh, offices, in our school systems. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14 says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. It's, it's one of the ways we know that we're Christians is when we love one another with His love. Every commandment in the New Testament can fall into five basic purposes. We've talked about them before. I'm not going to go into great deal on all of them. But one is fellowship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism, and worship. Now, if, if, if we're going to be a healthy church, a glorious church, then we cannot, well, we must find balance in these five purposes. These things must be developed simultaneously in a church, right? Most churches I know ministers like this, right? Back and forth, back and forth. So this thing's important for a while, and then we get out of balance and... This thing has to be important for a while. And so before long, it's just a juggling act, really, keeping all of these things afloat. You got, that was been really bad right there. Uh, you got all of these things juggling in the air all at one time, right? And it's, it's exasperating. Why? Because 20% of the body does 80% of the work. And so what you have is you got 20% of the giftedness that God gives the local body activated in the local body. And so the church is dependent upon 20% of the spiritual availability in the church. Now, I'm not trying to beat up on anybody. I'm just trying to prove a point. So what you do is you take the spiritual giftedness of that 20% and you have to apply it over here. And then you've got to take it and apply it over here. And then you've got to take it and apply it over here just so you can maintain. But boy, if we could get the glorious church, the communion of the saints... To all work within their gifting. Watch how this thing all comes up. So while evangelism is important to some and they're gifted, ministry is important to some and they're gifted, fellowship is important to some and they're gifted, worship is important to some and they're gifted, and all of us get elevated together because I get to benefit from your passions and you get to benefit from mine, and we're not juggling, we're actually becoming the glorious church. But that can't happen as long as we're last one's in, first one's out. Where's the benefit for me? It can only happen when we say, you know what? My life for Jesus Christ, what do you all need? What can I do? Where can I fit? Where can I belong to one another? One of the greatest passages about church is in Romans chapter 12. I want you to turn there quickly and we're almost done. If you'll pay attention quickly, I'll go as quickly as I can, all right? Through this. Almost done. In fact, if it helps you to listen quickly, this is the last thing. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. That word genuine means without hypocrisy. So you have, there is a way that you can love. Your love will always have hypocrisy in it. It, it just can't help it. Your love will always have hypocrisy. It can't help it. This word means without hypocrisy. The only way that you can love this way is through the agapeo love of God at work in you. 
Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor, that word, we don't use it often, but it's hate what is evil. Hold fast. Some of your translations may even say cleave. That word is a very interesting word because if it's an Old, Test- it's an Old Testament word. You go back into Old Testament chapter 2, it says that the husband and the wife in marriage, let a man and a woman leave their parents and cleave unto one another. This is a one flesh principle here. Cleave unto one another. It means that two things become one thing. It means to be so glued to that it shares the DNA. Hold, uh, abhor or hate what is evil, but become cloven unto, to be glued to, to become one with what is good. Love. Listen, so this is also a very interesting in, in the original language. This word love to love one another with brotherly affection. The first love, some of your translations may even say be kindly affectionate. This is the kind of love that a parent would have for a child or a child would have for a parent. Kindly affectionate. Kindly affectionate. So love one another with a brotherly affection. That word brotherly affection is a different word. It means a brotherly love. So with a parental child-parent relationship, love one another like brothers and sisters mutually. Right? This I won't have to say it a whole lot, but this is where you have the younger should respect the older. The older should respect the younger. This, there should be mutual ministry in that. The younger generation learning from the older generation. The older generation loving the younger generation and helping them become what the glorious church really is. This is very, very important part of ministry, but we're all brothers and sisters together for the glory of Jesus Christ. You cannot see this kind of love in the world. It does not have access to it. And I'll even go a step further. It's very rare to even find in church. Outdo one another in showing honor. If there's going to be a competition, it it should be who's going to honor another more. Right? That's where the competition comes. Not whose gift is better, but who can honor one another better. Right? So we should make that uh, a competition. I think we're going to do that one Saturday and see uh, how, that, how that showing honor. I'm just kidding. Lighten up. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 33 says that the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom and humility comes before honor. So how are we going to honor one another? Not from a place of superiority. I mean, you know, that's, that's really getting talked down to. When you get honored by somebody who thinks they're better than you, that's not honor, right? It's empty flattery. That's vanity. But when you get honored by someone who recognizes their own humility, that's powerful. That's powerful. You can't, you can't honor out of pride. Do not be slothful in zeal. Whew. Zeal is something that comes natural in the spirit. Fervency. In fact, that, that word is here, fervent, means to reach the boiling point. Boiling point is normal. All right? We talk about people who are Jesus freaks or fanatics. That's normal. Boiling point is normal. But do not be slothful in zeal. Actually, that word slothful means lazy. It means that you are intentionally neglecting your boiling point. You are doing that. You say, well, the preaching just isn't any good. Or the worship was just flat. Or the Sunday school teacher was just terrible. Well, this is your responsibility to reach your boiling point at all times in your zeal for the Lord. Otherwise, I mean, otherwise it's, you're just lazy. In spirit, serve the Lord. 
Okay, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints. Now this is done as an example. When the world sees how the church people treat one another, they should go, well, I want that. That's what this is saying. The world should go, what? There should be something when the world, when the world says, you know what, I should be a part, and I know this sounds judgmental, but listen, the, the world should see how the church treats one another and the love they have for one another and say, I ought to be in church. Not, I'm going to go to the church on Monday morning and see if I can get a check. That's not the point. It's the church is not a, just a benevolence place. It's a place for the world to be able to see that there's a different kingdom that can be lived into. And, if you, and you can belong to it if you'll put Jesus Christ as your, as your centerpiece. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This moves from the inside out. So contribute to the needs of the saints, that's part one. Part two is to be, to show, to seek to show hospitality. And listen, when you, when the church looks at what, the, when the world looks at what the church has, it wants it from a distance. But when the world, when the church goes out there and starts ministering to it, it's going to say things like, who do you think you are? You self-righteous. You think you're so much better than us. We are commanded to show that hospitality, but typically the world doesn't do very well with it. They want your stuff. They don't want you. And if they don't get you, they'll never see Jesus. So just know there is opposition to us being obedient here. The world's not going to say, oh, our hero, the church. It's not going to do that. So, you'll need to know that because blessed are those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them because that's what you're going to want to do when you take your best effort to your neighbors and they hate your guts for it. You're going to want to curse them and shake the dust off your shoes and say, next. But you need to bless them. Don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We're still outside the walls of this place. And weep with those who weep. This is with the world. Live in harmony with one another. Now we're back at church. We can't live in harmony with the world. How can we live in harmony? We focus on what really matters. Worshiping God and serving people. Do not be haughty. Listen, when you start getting to a place where you're confident in your faith, you're confident in the word, you're confident in your relationships, and you have that security built in, that confidence built in, and you start going with your hands open up to the world, there's, there's something about that that causes us to go, you know what? I'm a really good person. And in fact, all of my friends are really good people. I'm kind of arrived. I'm kind of somebody. So when you start living this way, open-handed to strangers, don't be haughty because it will tear you down. You'll tear you down. So here's how you can keep a baseline. Here's how you can always live within that humility. Associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own right. So lest you be lifted up and always stay in here and feel like you're somebody, every now and then you need to be with people that just need a little bit of Jesus in their life. And you need to be that to them. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And I love this part. If possible, and as far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. So these are the characteristics of the church that Jesus is returning for that is glorious. And I'm afraid if we're not super careful, we have a tendency to turn the church into something that benefits us 
instead of is beneficial to the world and ultimately glorifying to Jesus Christ. So I, I preach all of this so that we can remind ourselves that we believe in the holy, universal, global people of God that God works within to build a relationship with so that one day we are His own gift that He has been crafting since He first spoke, let there be light. So I want to encourage you this morning. I know that we're selfish people. We all are. I know we're hypocritical. I know we want honor. We want service. We want the benefit. We want all of those things. And if we're not careful, we get caught up into those distractions. But this morning, I want to encourage you. There is a better way. And Jesus, if you will allow him to flow out of the Father and himself through the Spirit into us, we will be that glorious church one day that he returns for. So let me encourage you to begin praying that way. Lord, what would you have me do? What would you have me do? Lord, how can I belong? Lord, how, and I'm not talking about a membership role. I'm talking about the communion of the saints. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the gifting that you give us. We thank you for your spirit that unites us together in the bonds of peace. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to live peaceably with all men. That maybe, perhaps, we could have favor with the community. And that favor would give us influence. And that influence would give us the ability to speak life. Lord, I pray that we, what we have together as a family, that it would be something special. That a church is not what we belong to. The church is who we are. We belong to one another. We are one body. We are the building of God. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to pray. And out of that prayer would come a compassion. And out of that compassion would come an ability to serve. And that that ability to serve, Lord, would build the love that causes us to look more and more glorious in your sight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you stand with me, please? It's time for all of us to maybe think about what is our next step in obedience to Jesus Christ through the local church. It's my responsibility. I mean, I am to be glorious before the Lord. I am to be walking with Him and choosing to walk with Him, with you. So what is, what is it that may God may be calling us to or ways that God, faithfulness that we ought to be or obedience that we're not following? Maybe relationships we're not forging. So let me encourage you this morning. Where would God use you if you would simply say yes. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.